Hello and welcome to another episode of the Force Diet Podcast. Wherever, whenever, and however you may be listening, we are honored that you've joined us. On tonight's episode, we've got episodes 11 and 12 of Andor, Daughters of Ferrix, and Rick's Road. An explosive finale to season one, and uh, we got a lot to talk about, so really excited to dive into that. Um, plus, we've got our first video recording, so very excited about that. You'll get to see our beautiful faces on the internet somewhere. And... Uh, <laughs> We'll uh, we'll wrap with uh, maybe some Disney talk with uh, with the change uh, in leadership and our uh, bits of spice or bits of Kyber segment is back this week too. So, with that, sit back and relax. This is where the fun begins. Force is what gives the Jedi his power. Why is the Force connecting us? I am a Jedi. Always do. There are. We're a dyad in the Force. And welcome back. Episode 38, Force Dyad Podcast. Jedi John here. I'm not along with Obi Sean, but he's here. I can see him. Hi, friend. How are you? Hello. Hello. It's good to see you. <laughs> after uh, after battling your tech problems for the last oh hour and a half, we finally have video. <laughs> Found a solution. So, how are things? How you been? Oh, things are good. Yeah. Things are good. Thanksgiving came, passed, you know, all the good things. Lots of food, lots Six, of fun. Successful holiday Too for you. Much family. The, I was gonna say successful for you and the family. Yeah. Oh Did, yes. Dinner, dinner went off without a hitch. I mean, Mikey did not go poorly, so in good shape. Felt good about it. <laughs> what did, about you? It was good. It was good. I didn't have to cook this year, which was nice. Um, went over to uh, went over to my dad's in the afternoon and uh, the in laws in the evening. Uh, was proud of myself that I paste you know normally i gorge myself in the first meal and then i feel like java by the end of the night you know just full of about eight pieces of pie but i uh, i did a much better job this year of pacing myself and so uh by the end of the night i didn't feel just absolutely disgusted with myself so uh that's a that's a that's, bent, that's a bonus ah, for that's me a shame <laughs> but uh but yeah my sister was in town i hadn't seen her i haven't seen aaron since uh christmas last year so uh, it was nice to see her and my nephew, uh, Francisco, is he just turned one. Well, he turned one back in August, so it was fun to see him and Connor play. And, uh, yeah, it was just pretty chill compared to last year, so that was nice. Got to love it. Got to love it. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, this week on the podcast, we've got the finale, well, the, the two final episodes of Andor to cover. And, uh, well, you know, a lot of fun stuff going on at Disney right now, so... Which we'll chat about some. I've seen so many memes, but I think I think the favorite one is he's he's back. <laughs> um, so we'll see what your thoughts are and my thoughts on uh, as uh, Bob Iger comes back into the fold um, for Disney. But yeah, I I guess uh, we'll start with uh, the daughters of Ferrix. Mm-hmm. If you want to start off there, I yeah, mean, go for it. Um, I'll go for it. Yeah, yeah just gonna, I'm just I'm, I'm just gonna right I'm in. just gonna throw it to you. I'm just gonna throw it to you. I don't know if I like that or not, but we'll find out. So, uh, Daughters of Ferrix 
without getting too much into the details of the of the show, I mean, we learn a lot of what the Daughters of Ferric Society is, mm-hmm. um, and that Marva was a big player in that, and a former president of that club, that social club on Ferrix. And uh, <clears throat> they're in charge of taking over Marva's procession. Like, I mean, we find out that they're in charge of the funeral and everything mm-hmm. else, so um, they're prepping for everything. Uh, so it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a sad sad episode finding out that marva is no longer with us well in that opening especially after the last time casting yeah casting yeah i was gonna say the last time they cast had seen her that uh um you know they had the fight but i mean you get the 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 shot from b's perspective like almost like through a crying eye right and i didn't realize that yeah. you know it's a, you learn something new right that droids can cry but it was i thought that the way that that scene was shot was so well done to just show the level of emotion, um, even in, even in her droid. But I mean, the, the, the episode itself opens with Melshi and Cass hanging off, hanging off the cliff, uh, as they're being hunted by, um, well, the empire basically hanging on by a thread. Right. And, uh, I think it's, it's a really good sort of metaphor for their current position you know, after having sca- uh, escaped uh, the prison and on Narkina Five, so and it felt like Melshi was going to fall. I mean, I, I, we all know what what happens—a little plot armor for both those guys. Um, but you know, there was that section where Melshi just didn't show hope anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I can't reach. I can't pull myself any further up. Like this is all I've got, and uh, Cass just keeps pushing. And then it flips, like, hey, tell me they're gone, or tell me they're gone, or that's the last pass, or whatever. And I wish I could remember the quote right now, but it's been a couple weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, but he flips a he flips the script on him, and um, hope is there restored again. Yeah, and then you get the you get the 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 scene with the Narkinians where they get snatched up in the uh, the, the the booger net, basically, for all intents and purposes. It was like Those a, some sticky nets. It's like a snot net. And then, and then you get the, I mean, it's a dialogue, but it's really just from the perspective of, of those two, I don't know if they were fisher, if they were supposed to be like fisher people or, cause obviously they're aliens, but, you know, talking about how the empires come, you know, with, with the empire being there, they've just wrecked their environment. You know, they've wrecked their, they can't farm anything. They can't fish anything. Um, you know, and it kind of, it is a callback to the first episode where, you know, they're on uh, Canari, and Canari's just basically been stripped of everything. Everything that the Empire touches, basically, they, they strip the life from, right? And the, I mean, there's a, there's a far deeper meaning to that scene with with those two and then and Cass and Melshi in the, in the nets. But, you know, you think briefly maybe that they might turn them back in, uh, but then obviously they agree to help them. And, uh, and Cass gets to go back to Niamo. So... That, that's, I love the quad jumper too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, you get the the nice little Force Awakens uh, nod. Yeah, too bad that he used that bucket of bolts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but then you get the uh, yeah. I mean, you already alluded to 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 what happens with Marva, and then we get the scene with Mothma and Vel in Mothma's apartment, and we overhear um, Lydia basically reciting the Chandrillan, I don't even know what to call it, like uh, 
I don't know if it's a rite of passage some or hymn, some, yeah, um, some traditional yeah. thing. Um, you know, and it's it's dovetails right off of of the last episode where you know Davo, you know, is wanting to introduce introduce his son to her daughter. So, and you know, I th- you can see the wheels turning, and you can also see the pain in her face um, as as her and Vel are talking and over and overseeing that. It's I don't know. I don't know what I don't know if there's more to, to talk about on that scene, but I mean, there's a lot there, um, kind of to unpack um, as far as like Shandrilling customs and the way that I guess uh, I, I don't know if it's right to say that that the Shandrilling women or, or girls are kind of like not brainwashed, but like they're they're brought up in that you know this is your this is your role, this is like your path sort of thing. Well, and they had even mentioned that. Um it's becoming popular with the younger generation now, but it was not as popular when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. Like Vel was like, we never like, I don't understand why this is still a thing here. And we're not even on, on planet or in Coruscant and it's popular here, but yeah, it was just kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And then we get uh, the, the, and I'm probably, I'm sure I'm probably skipping over things again. It, it was a couple of weeks ago, but we get the big back and forth between Luthen and saw at the end. I've got some thoughts on the scene, but I'm interested to hear hear your perspective on on their discussion. Well, I think it's it's interesting because last time they met, right, we got to talk about how they were playing off each other on who pulled the job, so to speak. And um, Luthen obviously knew who did it, but Saw was um, just trying to figure out for himself, like exactly who who was it, whose well whose job it was. Uh, but they go talking about the Spellhouse mission because now all of a sudden Saw's like, I'm in. Tell him I'm in, I'll be there. And uh, Luthen has to, uh, in a sense, come clean a little bit and be like, you can't go. If you go, you're dead too. Mm-hmm. So, um, And then you see that, I'll call it that Rogue One paranoia set in immediately in Saw. And he's just like, who do you have here? Like, who do you have here working for me? And Luthen just plays in like uh, tubes. I love how he's like, oh, it's, it's tubes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so nonchalant too. The way he's what just a, like, Oh, it's him. What a guy. What a guy. He's, so yeah, I mean, it was very interesting the way um, that saw just kind of went straight to paranoia. Like he wasn't even surprised at what Luthen told him. I mean, he was upset about it a little bit probably, but he was more like, if you've got people there, you've got people here. So it was just really, it was interesting on how he went straight to paranoia about who in his own ranks were uh, potential um, informants for him mm-hmm. because yeah. he figured it out right away. Like if you're telling me this, it's because you can't risk losing the person that you already have inside. Right. Yeah. So, Cause he doesn't want to be a smart guy. He doesn't want to make Lonnie. Right. Obviously because he's just too valuable. Right. We learned that in, in episode nine or sorry, episode 10. And yeah, the, the, the lies, deception, every day more lies, right? It, it was, it was, it's, I mean, I don't know if Saul was like that a lot before this, this, this moment, or if, you know, if he's always been paranoid leading up to this, but you definitely saw, like you said, Rogue, Rogue One saw, uh, in that scene. Um, and the way he kind of did the about face with, you know, are you going to tell Krieger and, um, you know, thirty men, and and Luthen keeps reminding him, 
you know, plus Krieger. So it kind of goes back to what we talked about last episode about how I think that it does eat at Luthen, right? Like that Luthen actually does care about the, like the decisions that he has to make do trouble him, do pain him. Um, even if he seems kind of cavalier in in making those decisions <clears throat> or not even cavalier, but just like, Hey, we're doing this, you know, he's direct, he's forward. Um, he knows the risks uh, or, he, you know, he calculates the risks, but, but the way that saw kind of flips to, you know, for the, for, uh, well, what do you say for, uh, for the greater good. Right. And I almost feel like, you know, with saw being kind of a, well, like an insurgent, right? Like as far back as the clone wars, right. Having his, 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 his group, you know, it makes me wonder if, you know, he sees himself in Luthen's position, like, because of what maybe what he's done in the past of having to make those calls, understanding that if if they change tact, it'll risk the bigger game, the broader game. Um, so it's almost like I don't want to say it's sympathy, but it almost feels like he he can relate to him on some level in that in that instance. Yeah, I mean. I don't know if there's anything else in that scene to really unpack other than the fact that it was just funny watching tubes kind of freak out for a second. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those things that we're so deep into the, the, you know, the, the dark times for the, re I'll, I'll call it the dark times for the rebellion because I mean, it's, they're, they're, they're still very much in the shadows, but they're, they're slowly coming to the light now, as far as the empire is concerned as focus in on, um, different cells along with uh, people getting more aggressive with their heist and so so it's it's um yeah it's just an interesting dynamic because there's almost no trust i, I mean I, I know we talked about that the other yeah. um, episode too but there's still not trust there even though luthan let him in a little bit on on what was really going on so yeah and, and... and maybe that's to build maybe that's to build trust too a little bit well, and that's, you know, he's like, he says it at the end, right? If I were ISB, why wouldn't I just send you out there? And, and, you know, one of the things that come out, came out of, well, not maybe so much this episode, but kind of the series as a whole up to this point was, how is Luthen, like, what is Luthen? Like, what, where, what is, where does he come from? And I've seen people talking about how, oh, maybe he's, he's Jedi or somehow affiliated with the the order because of like his staff or not his staff, but well, yeah, it's like walking stick. Um, and then he's got the hide, a, hide a blade, uh, knife, which I think the toys basically ruin that, right? Like the black series figure of him. Cause he comes with the little knife that goes in into the sheath. Um, so what are your thoughts on who Luthen is actually as an individual? Is he somehow affiliated with the order? Is he just, off on his own it, did him and Saul work together at some point what are you you know what do you think you know I think he's probably got a very similar backstory to other people we've met in the Star Wars universe as far as the Empire came they either power grabbed um, or they in some way affected his family or who he was with in some way and he's he realized very early on when the Empire was forming that they were truly a, a problem and um 
I, I mean, and he and he kind of was that philosophical guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know we had Nemec earlier in the episode, in, in earlier episodes, but he's also that that guy, right? Like, he he sees it a long time before everybody else has seen what's going on. Um, so, uh, but overall, I'd probably I would probably just say something something definitely happened to him or family of him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm very curious to see what what it is and if we get that backstory next season or not. But he, um, yeah, I mean, something had to happen for him to absolutely hate them, and it can't just be because he feels like they're taking too much power that doesn't belong to them. Yeah, I mean, he, he, we we well, we talked about it a little bit last episode about his monologue and how he's, you know, he made the decision 15 years ago, right? Which is basically you know, leading up to order 66. And so it does lead credence to, you know, he's somehow affiliated with the order, but I feel like he, the reason that he and saw know each other is because they've worked together at some point, maybe not like directly, like they weren't part of the same squad, but you know, whether it was, uh, you know, in the time of the bad batch, right. Where you've got young saw and his, and his, his militias and stuff like that, or, uh, in the time of Jedi Fallen Order, right? So five years post Order sixty six, right? We get we get that saw during during the game. It wouldn't surprise me if in the same timeline, him and Luthen were co contributors to the the rebellion. Like, because I don't even know if I call it the rebellion at that point, but I mean they were still running jobs. They were still you know in the game, right? They're trying to free the Wookies, right? And so there's some form of rebellion already existing at that time, even if it's um, a small fragment of what it eventually becomes. So um, Luthen is definitely an interesting character, definitely mysterious. Um, I'm hoping that we get maybe some more of his backstory uh, next season when we go, when we end up going to Yavin and and stuff like that. So um, I would definitely be down to know more about Luthen. So, yeah, very intriguing character, and we got to see him more in the finale. Um, I know we're gonna get to that in a little bit, but it was it was very interesting to see how he played the finale out. As uh, even during this episode, he was already searching for Cassian again. So mm-hmm. he's a hot commodity, that Cassian Andor. <laughs> Cassian Andor. Yeah. So uh, so then yeah, well, let's jump into into Rick's Road, the explosive, literally, finale to the season, and the kind of perfect stamp to what kind of the season's been as a whole. I feel like it it tied everything, like all of the various themes, all of the various messages, all the various lines, like the one-liners um, or parts of monologues. I feel like it tied all of it together. Yeah, it was just... Tell you what, most... I mean, there's a few TV shows out there that are giving me goosebumps, right? There's just a few. And it's usually when really important characters give those speeches, you know? Mm-hmm. You could say Marva is a very important character, or, I mean, obviously we knew she was a very important citizen to Ferrix. But for us as Star Wars fans, not a huge character. You know, we've we've only seen her a handful of times for only a handful of minutes each episode um, that she was in. And that speech just goosebumps the whole time. 
Um, I know that's skipping way, way ahead in the episode, but yeah, I mean, um, it was the whole episode was built around her funeral. So, mm-hmm. and it's very cool. To, to, I mean, we heard heard about it already. What what happens to uh, um, the dead of Ferrix and how they get molded into a brick and placed in a wall um, so they can continue their work mm-hmm. um, even after death. So, yeah, it's 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 a pretty incredible uh, funeral. Uh, procession also just for the prep work for everybody that that came together like to show how important she was specifically um mm-hmm. to that community because i loved how the empire was like oh yeah we're gonna limit it to this many people and then as soon as it started you're <laughs> like that's a little high yeah that's a little a little more than they expected so yeah they weren't uh what i think they they were gonna allow them to have 30 people or something like that uh show up and yeah had... yeah it was 30 <laughs> They had the full, they had all the, as soon sh- as I heard marching band. <laughs> well, that, you know, talking real quick about the, the, the whole brick thing, it was really, I thought it was really cool. Um, or poignant that he went to visit his dad, you know, his, you know, he went to visit Clem before everything happened. Right. And I wasn't quite sure what was happening in that scene until you get the flashback and you hear him, him talking to, to Cassian and, you know, as a, as, as a son, right. You go to your dad for inspiration, right. You, 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 a lot of times you'll turn to your dad for strength, you know, a boost, right. I mean, obviously a, a, a mother's love for a son is, is irreplaceable of course, but th- from a, you know, a strength standpoint or, or, a, or a wisdom standpoint, right. A lot of times you might go to your dad. Um, and so it's, I think it's, it was really special that, he did that at the beginning of the episode right before you know everything kicked off so i thought i you know i thought that was a lovely touch you know they didn't have to put it in right but i think it added just a little bit extra to um kind of where he was at mentally going into this this whole thing so you know before we get to the funeral though and everything that happens after I want to talk real quick about Mothma and Perrin uh, leaving the party or or, or the, the gathering um, and the discussion that they end up having. Uh, you know, we, we know that the... We already know the driver is, is working for um, the ISB. Well, we knew somebody. We didn't know who, but now... now right. I think... I mean, I, I think she had alluded to it um, the one time she visited Luthen and said, you know, every day my, dri- you know, my driver's changed and everything like that. But the way that they were talking in code about, you know, gambling and parent gambling and all that stuff, you know, we talked earlier uh, in, er, earlier in the season about parent being this kind of ambivalent husband and watching that or, you know, having that scene now makes me think that he's been in on it the whole time. Like he's known what's been going on the whole time. Did you At get least some of it? Did you get I that? Like, yeah. Did you get that too? Yeah. So I think that she was talking about that in order to throw, like, because she knew the driver would be listening. I mean, she's not, she's not stupid. But I think that she threw that stuff in there to kind of explain away why there was some questionable banking decisions made mm-hmm. recently in her accounts because she knows they've looked at them. Like she knows they they know so uh but i think that that was one of her plays um to try to 
minimize why however much money was missing Mm -hmm. that wasn't accounted for yeah because she says she says in episode what i I think that was an 11 when she it was like four hundred thousand credits or because he never even yeah but i mean and parent never even admitted to it you know like he Mm -hmm. he was still like i'm not doing that i don't even know what you're talking about and she just keeps going hard on it like no you're doing it again i know you i mean i know you Mm -hmm. we've been through this before like where are you getting the money? Like asked all kinds of the right questions, so to speak. So I don't know if he's in on it, but he's definitely going to get blamed for it. Well, and, and he's like, whoever's telling you this is lying to you. And she's like, of that, that of, of that I'm certain or something like that. Like it's somebody's definitely lying. Right. And well, I think we all know that in that scene, it's her who's, who's throwing up that, uh, that red herring, that false flag. Um, to try and throw them off because yeah I, yeah that, i think i think you're right he because he said someone's lying lying or whatever mm-hmm. and she's like definitely true definitely definitely true but you so, can, yeah i mean you can almost see yeah like his it was one of the it was the first scene where he actually had some level of emotion um that was beyond just kind of nonchalant right so <clears throat> I want to party. <laughs> you know, suck the fun out of everything. He likes to gamble, you know. A man, he he likes to. My wife <laughs> sucks the fun out of everything. Perrin, as Perrin, that's as, as quoted as Perrin, mm-hmm. not not me. Right. Cover my own. I'm on video right now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so you know the 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 big, obviously the big scene. Well, leading into it, we get we finally. You know, we find out, of course, that Nemec's manifesto is safe, right? When uh, when Cass goes back to Niamos, and we actually get to hear it, you know, or at least a bit of it. And for a series that's had some pretty epic or emotionally charged monologues, um, this was this had the same level of like oomph, but in a much more even, you know, tone, and. I think it tied, well, I mean, it, it clearly tied in perfectly, not only with what was going to happen and what was happening, um, but the way it, you know, bounced between, like, Bix and Luthen and um, and Cass and, and all, of, all of these people who, you know, whether they are aware of it or not, are basically the, the embers that are about to light the powder keg of the rebellion. And basically put forth to the empire that yeah there's there's something going on here it was it was like the lexington and concord moment of star wars right like the the shot heard around the galaxy so i mean the that you know uh freedom is it's a it's well it's it's a it's an organic idea it's a free idea um you know oppression is is the mask of fear um, I've actually got it here. Play it real quick. I keyed this up for a reason. There will be times when the struggle seems impossible. I know this already. Alone, unsure, dwarfed by the scale of the enemy. Remember this. Freedom is a pure idea. It occurs spontaneously and without instruction. 
Random acts of insurrection are occurring constantly throughout the galaxy. There are whole armies, battalions, that have no idea that they've already enlisted in the cause. Remember that the frontier of the rebellion is everywhere, and even the smallest act of insurrection pushes our lines forward. And then remember this. The Imperial need for control is so desperate because it is so unnatural. Tyranny requires constant effort. It breaks. It leaks. Authority is brittle. Oppression is the mask of fear. Remember that. And know this. The day will come when all these skirmishes and battles, these moments of defiance will have flooded the banks of the Empire's authority, and then there will be one too many. One single thing will break the siege. Remember this. Try. I mean, yeah, goosebumps. Um, I mean, it's it's a goosebump moment, right? So, yeah, I I mean, I don't I don't know what else to to say about it other than it's. <laughs> I don't. I don't I... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you want to go with with that, but I mean, I mean, the biggest takeaway there is obviously like there are there are rebel fronts everywhere, like, uh, and any single act of insurrection pushes our line, and um, yeah, it's just waiting for that one big, big bang, so to speak, um, like a planet size. Or moon sized space station just getting blown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was it's not a, not even talking about just that. Like we uh we've talked about the parallels between this show and what's going on in the world today mm-hmm. a lot. And um it always goes back to for this, I mean, uh freedom isn't always free, you know. Um there are there are prices to be paid and uh people do that every day in a lot of different countries around the world. So, um, but there's always that front that wants freedom. Like mm-hmm. there's always those people that fight against oppression and, uh, for them, it, they know it's everywhere in the galaxy. They just have to find a way to unite them. It's Dynamic. Like, well, it's like, and it's, it's like what happens kind of towards the end of, um, the rise of Skywalker, right? Where, you know, they put out the message, right. To try and, you know, that there's people out there, right. People are listening, people hear, you know, and Jen asks at the end of row one, right. Do you think anybody was listening? Um, you know, do you think anybody got the message? Right. And that the rebel struggle, you know, the struggle for, um, resisting the empire resisting tyranny resisting authoritarianism etc right it's it isn't that one singular act right it's not one singular group it takes it takes many um from all corners um and i think we've seen that quite a bit um in again in our in our real world uh recently and so so you know that leads into it leads into the funeral procession which the the music the it was very haunting um it was beautifully done um but it was very haunting and and I know Keith texted us and and shared with us the little tidbit that it was the 
it was basically the culmination of the intro, like the 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 main title theme, which I believe was getting new instruments added each episode. So like the intro for each episode was a new additive instrument. Yeah. To every every yeah every episode had a had a. I'm not going to say a completely new intro, but it it had additions mm-hmm. to the to the theme each each episode. Yeah. Pretty cool. That's and it's, that's a, I think I remember reading something about uh, Nicholas Bertel was talking about how he was how he was uh, composing the the music for the show and how it was going to be different is what I, I think is what one of the things that he was saying and to have a theme that constantly evolves throughout the season and then is finalized on the last episode and is played during the uh you know penultimate moment you know before everything ignites uh is just it's so well done it's so good um i think it's interesting because i mean when composers go at a project you know they they build their base right they build their baseline for music whatever instrument they they choose um but then they layer in other other instruments. They don't just write it. They don't write. Nobody sits down and writes a piece of music and says, "This is where I want this right away." Like on the first draft, you know, they have to get a baseline first, and then they layer in um, for whatever they're looking for um, for their audience. And you know, it's um, it's very interesting that it, we almost got to see his um, process play out. Mm-hmm. Um, each episode and then uh, like you said like uh, with the the finale so to speak bringing it to life during one, the most important scene in the in the season you know when the when the ignition was going to start yeah. yeah and then we get and then you know we get to the the part that you kind of alluded to earlier with Marva's speech and the way that that scene was shot you know with you know, Brasso looking at um, at Pac's son, you know, at different points and bouncing around to the just unease that the Imperials were all having um, and kind of that... Billowing. And you still had Luthen and you had... I mean, all the players were there. All the players were there. And, you know, um, they were looking... Like, Deidre was looking for Cassian because mm-hmm. she found out he was on planet. So it was just... Uh, go ahead, though. Sorry to cut you off, but yeah, like I mean, all I we didn't really talk about that, but like literally all the major players from the show ended up on Ferrix for this because they all knew Cassian was going to be there. Mm-hmm. So and yeah, right, because you've got uh, you've got Cyril and Lieutenant Musk, um, which their interactions, you know, just to kind of sidetrack slightly, their their interactions are hysterical, and I would watch like it's kind of like a Laurel and Hardy. Or like an Abbott and Costello, like they could have, they could have such a fun comedy hour. Just, just Musk, Musk and uh, and Karn, right? Like one that sounds like a really cool like radio show, Musk and Karn, but or Musk, it's Musk or Musk. I don't, anyways. But the two of them together are just, <laughs> I don't know. I find they have like this. They're not like slapstick comedy, of course, but their interactions to me are are hilarious. It's um. It's definitely interesting. They're they're play, like them playing off each other very well. Um, yeah, you do a great job. Every time I see that guy, though, I just automatically think of Austin Powers. Oh my 
and I just think of a specific character, <laughs> and I can't get I can't get over it. I can't get past it. I don't know. I don't know it's why. A, it's a testament. It. It's a testament to how solid Mike Myers is. Uh, Scottish accent <laughs> is. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's almost like you I just get, can't help it. You get a bit of Shrek in there too, right? Just a dose of Shrek. Yeah, I mean, it, it, as soon as I saw the character initially, I'm just like, oh my god, this is this is him. This is yeah. I just it was just funny. Anyway, um, but there, the the two actors playing off each other, very very interesting. Um, I would all agree that they could probably pull off a, their own show. Mm-hmm. Um. It could be the adventures of like two just inept but very very serious people. <laughs> mm. Could be like uh, it could be like Dragnet or um, like Miami Vice, but in Star Wars, right? Like it crocodile, like Crocodile Space Force. <laughs> Did you ever watch Space Force? Uh-huh. With with uh, Steve Carell, uh, like Steve Carell, yeah, Steve Carell, and then yeah, like it's a very serious job, but he. Just, doesn't have what it takes. Yep. But yeah, like something <laughs> anyway, like that. Anyway, but Cyril does prove himself by the end of the episode, you know? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So the, yeah, like you said, bouncing around different characters, you got Bix who still hold up, um, you know, before Cass gets there and she's chanting along with those in the street, right? It has, you know, it connects her, it ties her obviously to everything going on. And that despite everything that the Empire has done to her, she still has that bit of her left um because obviously when Cass gets to her she's she's a shell of herself um due to all the interrogation and, and every i mean you can only imagine right and but like you said yeah bouncing between deidre bix cyril luthan etc everyone's there everyone's listening to marva talk about effectively what is happening is because nobody took the threat seriously enough um, everyone thought that it was just going to go away if you kept your head down, right? It goes back to what Kino was talking about uh, during, you know, during the Nakina arc about, you know, just keep your head down and you'll get not so much get through it, but it'll pass. And but essentially, their lack of 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 caring or I don't know what the right word is. I can't think of it right now, but. It's like just a compl- it's the, it's a complacency. Thank you. With, that's with the what's word. What's going on? Like, yeah, that's the word that their complacency. And that's what they talked about. Um, I mean, Luthen Luthen's talked about it like uh, previously too. Like they're they're gonna take they're taking Justin. Like we need people to really suffer to for them to realize that this is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Right now, they're slowly taking things away from us that people are just moving on with because they're like, oh, it's not that bad because but we need people to really suffer. So. Yeah. And, and like, I, I can't remember if the whole time the, the, the bell toller was playing or if that was just a lead up to the actual procession. Um, but again, you, you see the uneasiness on the Imperial side, right? Like the fear that they have of what's like, they, you can see the wheels turning in their heads of what's, happening what's going to happen and again it goes back to you know cassian talking about power not panicking right and uh oppression is the mask of fear and and what nemex said and again it all ties into itself so well the writing 
in this series was done so well that, you know, when Marva's like, you know, if I had it to do all over again, I'd wake up and I'd be fighting them and they try and cover up B, but, you know, you get to fight the Empire. She, she says that, she, yeah, she says, she does say that one line, right? Like, it's easy for the dead to say, fight. Mm-hmm. Oh but yeah, mm-hmm. you're you right. You need to, yeah. And then it, and then it basically, well, you. Get, uh, the, I mean, it, it just it just devolves into to chaos, and you get Pac's son throwing his homemade explosive device. Uh, Pipe bomb. Yeah, I mean that's a. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just. So sorry, guys, including the guy that traitor. Wasn't a friend. Yeah, he. You know, that's what happens when you help the Empire, right? We we've learned that from like so many of our series, like so many of the different Star Wars yeah. series that they've done, right? They they always give us that that one character, that one person who's working against um, the the hero, right? Uh, to try and better themselves, and every single time, it uh, it always loyalty is important. Back. If Star Wars teaches you one thing, loyalty is important. Yeah, the because uh, the construction of the bomb was how the episode opened, right? Like it's him in the workshop, you know, building it. So, but you get Brasso just taking. I love him. Beating, this, beating I love the him crap this, out of this. people. <laughs> taking the bricks. With Marva's brick. Yes. That was so freaking awesome. As soon as I see him, like, literally just holding the brick and just coming straight across. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what Marvel would want. Like <laughs> she couldn't she didn't fight enough when she was alive, but uh you just hit some stormtrooper in the face with, with her. So, you know. Yeah. I mean she she got to in, she got to participate in the uh in the uprising. And you know, speaking of Brasso, you know, going back to the beginning of the episode where they're in the um like in the tunnel or or, you know, the secret passage to to get them into the building, and Brass was talking about what Marva said to him, you know, and how she'd always love him, and you know, once he once he gets himself sorted, he'll be a, an unstoppable force for good. And well, I actually just saw it. I think scrolling through Instagram today, the the parallel between what's said to him then, and then what's said to Jin in in Rogue One. Uh, when she gets when she sees the hologram of of Galen and just that that affirmation or I guess knowing that I guess knowing that you, that despite everything that's happened in the past right that in the end the love the love exist you know the love survives right like even though the last time they saw each other they were they didn't exactly leave on good terms that didn't change how she felt about him uh, Marva about Cassian that is and so goes back to the mother's love right and how that is such a galvanizing thing um, for a person and can provide so much fight and purpose in and of itself and it's almost like that's the moment that Cassian realizes what he needs to do not not in that moment specifically but long term like that I feel like was the switch the trigger that all right I need to 
or he's going to help help the 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 rebel cause. He's going to become part of the rebellion. I feel like it was that moment between him and Brasso in the passageway and stuff like that. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other thing I want to touch on for this episode it it seemed it probably seemed small and insignificant, but it is weird that after the speech and everything else, you know, Luthen does not. He's going back to his ship. He's not looking for Cassian anymore. He kind of he he stopped. Um, and I think, it, I mean, as obviously because of what Marva had said and what then un, unraveled in front of the Empire uh, pretty quickly, obviously. And it's possible that he was just like, "I'm done. I can't do. I'm, this is a. I mean, Imperials are just shooting people down now. So I I, I got to get out of here." But it very quickly turned from. I'm here for one thing and it's to tie up loose ends to um, this is exactly what I wanted to happen. So it was, it was cool when they flashed to him because you could see it in his eyes that this is it. This is what, this is what we need. We need this right now. And we need this, not just here. We need this everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. And in the chaos, you know, Cyril finds Deidre saves Deidre from the mob. Um, and then they have that weird, that strange moment. It, I, were they going to kiss? In the cabinet. Were they going to kiss? I, they I were going to kiss. And not the they were, they were going to kiss. I was like, I swear if they make them kiss right here, I, I know it's going to ruin it. Like if they, that would have ruined it. If they had, if they had let, uh, if they had had them kiss that I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that they had the awkward tension instead I don't know if that was more unsettling or uneasy than if they had yeah, just they kissed. Yeah, they kiss next season. It's fine. <laughs> but I, I'm I, not rooting for that, by the way. But the, I'm just saying, like, are, I, I are, mean, are you are you going to ship? Are Cyril's you gonna... definitely interested. No, uh, Cyril's definitely interested. I mean, he's probably friend zone though. You're going to ship Deidre and, and Cyril. You're gonna you're gonna stand. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna be a stand for them. But uh, the. I don't know if it's meant to be a call. I wonder what I wonder what he becomes. I, I wonder what Cyril becomes next season. Now, though, I mean, come on, special assistant to the uh, <laughs> regional manager. <you> know? <laughs> oh my god! If he gets relegated to the role of Dwight in the Star Wars universe, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lose it. <laughs> That's gonna be. But no, I I think it goes back to what we talked about. Where no, that'll be Mosk. That'll be Mosk. Mosk will be the assistant. You know. <laughs> So Deidre's got her little guy, right? And then Cyril will have Musk. <laughs> oh my goodness, that would be again be perfect. That would be that would be great for a variety hour. Um, but uh, uh, the 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 interaction between them in the in, in the in that room, like, goes back to right what happened in I think it was episode nine, right, where he talks to her about everything that that's happened and and how he's found his purpose again, and. It's almost, it was weird because, you know, in that, at that moment, uh, in episode nine, he's, he seems really uneasy, very like frantic, very on edge. And then in the end scene in, in episode 12, he's much more, it's almost like he found his strength, you know, right? Like the whole season, I feel like he's, he's been afraid, right? At, at various points. And it was almost like the, it was like his moment of strength in the chaos was when he was most calm. And, and I don't know if maybe 
Deidre saw that or not, but it makes me think that I don't know if he's going to end up in some sort of high-profile um, position related to the ISB or if, like we talked about last episode, if he's going to move to a different sect of you know the Empire. Um, maybe maybe he, he gets to work um, or is involved in some way with the Death Star. That would be interesting um, because you're right. I don't I don't know where his character goes, but it's definitely down the imperial path. I don't think it's going to be the rebel path like you you thought might We're happen. We're not going to flip. We're not going to flip. No, not at all. No flip. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that whole you brought the point where he was calm during the during the storm, so to speak. That's completely opposite of how he was going on his mission. Mm-hmm. When he got told he was suiting up, he's like. I have a gun. There's a gun here. There's a gun. Oh, I have to give a speech now. We're going to do great. And I'm not going to vomit all over. The, oh, wait, I, I mean, I'm going to vomit all over the place. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it was completely opposite of how he was in episode. Was it two, three, uh, three, three was Either the, uh, the, the assault on Ferrix the first time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's completely opposite of how he was in, uh, in the fire the first time. So it's uh, very interesting how he matured through because he knew what he needed to do and he needed to save Deidre. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's one of those where is it more self-preservation like from a career standpoint or does it, or, or was it one of those in the moment type things? Um, certainly obviously not premeditated because, because everything happens so quick, but it'll definitely be interesting. Well, and also he obviously didn't, he obviously didn't flip for Marva's speech. That would have been interesting if he would if that would have been the moment he flipped, but obviously we didn't get that. But that would have been because he was there to see Deidre, obviously, and catch Cassian. Mm-hmm. But then if he would have heard Marva and flipped, that would have been very interesting. But then it's not how it went, obviously. But uh, even after that speech, he still is like, "This is the path for me." Even though I just watched hundreds of people start attacking my people, so to speak. Well, and that and that's he was in plain clothes. He could have fit right in with them. Well, and maybe it was like a reverse, right? Like it's it's it even further galvanized his belief that, like his view from a like a law and order perspective is the correct path, right? Like the imperial path. Um, and Marva's speech was, and and the resulting uh, after effects is is was just the thing to kind of reinforce it. The problem. Um, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you get uh, there's a lot of things that happen during the actual brawl. Uh, I think I think one of the um, more meme worthy ones was uh, the bell tower uh, dude just Spartan kicking uh, the stormtrooper out of the bell tower. <laughs> rule number two in Star Wars. Well, rule number one: don't run until somebody with a lightsaber, right? But mm-hmm. Rule number two, if they've got hammers, not not a good person to fight. Not a good person to fight. Like, especially not in Star Wars Disney Plus series. Like, people with hammers and banging on stuff, they don't, yeah, they will kill mm-hmm. people. Saw the armor take down a few people. This oh, yeah. dude didn't even think twice about smashing a dude and then, yeah, Spartan kicking him off the bell tower. Like, <laughs> no question. This is Varex. <laughs> <So>, Varex. <laughs> a 
But yeah, I mean, dude, dude took two steps on the bell tower and just yeah, got gets. Oh man, he got he got yeeted. He just he was just yeeted off that yeah. tower. Just 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 a. Yeet. I just love it too because the captain sent him up there. Captain's like, go stop that guy, right. and then you know he saw him. You know it was just oh, there's my guy. There he is. Okay, <laughs> off he goes. And it's like, don't you guys have you have snipers? You talked about having snipers like on the different roofs. Can you, can you not just snipe yeah. the? Just, just snipe the the the, the hammer man. Why you got to Why you got to send a one dude, a stormy, t- up there? Who, I mean, nine times out of ten, he's gonna miss that shot, uh, anyways. Well, he, no, he will never be. <laughs> the accuracy of a stormtrooper. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Unquestionably good. Does it? Was it? Was it up here? And then did it degrade over time to 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 where they are in the New Hope? It must have been. Well, you know, getting rid of the clones hurt a lot. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, yeah, I mean, yeah, the clones are long gone by this point. Clones could shoot. Well, they could. They could. That's because that's what they were trained to do. But, um, but yeah, and then, so after, I mean, I, th- I think that pretty much wraps up the fight, right? There's, you got Cyril saving Deidre, Cass saving Bix, um, which was a big, obviously a huge moment, and him trying to bring her back uh, as they're trying to escape, You've got, well, yeah, my Brasso and 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 all them just Brasso pulled Pax Paxson, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I don't think I don't think Paxson was originally um, on the on the um, on the list, so to speak. But as soon as Brasso saw him, he's mm-hmm. like, "You're coming." Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, onto the ship, yeah, to, I mean, to I escape. Like, yeah, I feel like I feel like that was definitely a uh, last minute call from Brasso because he's like, "You threw that." You're coming with me, mm-hmm. like, because I think I at that point, like, you're gonna get killed if you stay. So you're coming with me. Oh, without without question, he is. He would get strung up in the middle of the street if they uh, if they got a hold of him. Yeah, but I'm I'm really stoked to see more Brasso and Bix next season as they kind of evolve into their roles. Well, obviously, I, I mean, it's gonna be his team. That's Cassian's team now. Mm-hmm. You know, like everyone that got, was on that ship, that's gonna turn into. Cassian's team for at least the first part of the season until you know, yeah. Who knows what happens? I'm not looking forward to that part where because uh, we don't see any of them in Rogue One, so except for Melshi, Cassian's right? working alone at that point. <laughs> well, Melshi came in late. <laughs> that's true. So that's true. And I mean, so who who knows what Cass what happens and what Cassian's dealing with? But yeah. Well, and then the last the last scene, right? Um, uh, I remember watching it with Karen. She's like, "What? What? Where did the guy go? You know, where did Luthen go?" I'm like, "Oh, I said you just wait. He and Cass are gonna. There's gonna be something there, and uh, and sure enough, you get uh, Cass sneaking onto a ship, and the uh, he came here to kill me. Uh, you don't make it easy. <laughs> and then yeah, Cassian's um, basically introduction into into the rebellion and Luthen's smile like his wry smile like that in the end he in essence got what he want multiple times over right he got kind of the kickoff to the rebellion that he wanted he got cassian as far as luthan's concerned things are going really really well from the rebellion point of view yeah so instead yeah instead of a loose end he's now um in the fold Uh uh-huh and, Where uh, originally he thought he was just a loose cannon, you know, like not just a loose end, but a, a loose cannon, like literally like 
Cassian would do anything for himself. Right. But now he's like, oh, this guy's like legitimately bought in. Yeah. And, so, and, yeah. uh, pretty, pretty, pretty cool. And then we get the end credit scene. Uh, what was that? Huh. What, what, what happened there, Sean? Um, share? The Lego Technic Death Star was being put together. Mm. I, yeah. Sounds like we got it right. The, uh, well, us and I'm sure dozens of other people, but. No, no one else. <laughs> no one else in the internet got it. No one else. It was just us. We were the only ones that knew. It's a circle. It's just a, it's a circle. You see this Lit- circle? Literally. I mean, you want to draw you a picture? It, I can draw you. Star. I can draw it for you. You got, you got pen and paper there? You know, just draw the circle for me. Oh, just, <clears throat> just you wait. I won't, I won't write you a special note this episode. I'll just draw it for you. Well, you can't because now you're on camera. Oh, I can. And I'm going to have to blur it. Like, I have to blur it in post-production. Don't, don't do, yeah, don't. Don't do that to me. Don't threaten me with a good time. But the fact that that was the, that was the end credit scene, that the things that Cass and Melshi and everybody on Akina 5 were being forced to make would be the tool for their ultimate demise their ultimate destruction is such a sort of sick what what do you got it's a circle it's actually pretty good i circle. told you it was gonna be a circle yeah you drew that That's pretty good you drew that you used the bottle to help you didn't you i'm resourceful you are you're smart you know work smarter not harder but the uh the fact that that's that that was how they chose to end the series was what's the word I can't think of the word right now I, I, point damaging right like that that they built the tool that would eventually kill them and millions of others and, and they were being they forced. call it irony in a lot of cases <laughs> I mean it you know and that they were forced to do it you know in the work camps and or you know in 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 their particular instance in the prisons. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of rough, you know, like just thinking about that, like how many of those did Cassian make or help make? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what's going to get them in just a few years. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it just, it's the kind of the cherry on top of the, uh, Imperial Sunday that they will go to any length, right? They don't, you know, they will, it doesn't matter who they hurt in the process, right? It's the, the ends justify the means, right? And they don't care how many sieves they have to take over. They don't care how many people they have to incarcerate. They don't, they don't care about any of that. So long as they get what they need done. The fact that the empire decided, you know what resource we're going to just, exploit to hell is we're going to make sentences the maximum I absolutely can without any question coming against me. And then I'm going to make them, um, instead of getting out of prison, they're just going to get either transferred to a new floor of said mm-hmm. prison, or they're going to go somewhere else. And we're going to build a, a, a death machine with them. Like that's <clears throat> very, Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sadistically evil. Yeah, the the endless supply of manpower because if you never release your prisoners, I mean, someone's getting arrested every day. 
Mm-hmm. Some someone's getting arrested every day. So yeah, and, and basically, and you just if work, a, you just work people, uh, until I'm they fleeing die. from nothing turns into six years or whatever. Like yeah. Well, and, and and people are work till they die. I mean, it's it's and then they're just replaced with a new person, right? It's 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 a literal yeah. lack of you know decency, empathy. You know, pick up, pick up, pick up. Yeah, and if, if you word. and if you refuse to work, you die. Like literally, you you either work till you die or you die. Like that's that's the options. Yeah, and I mean, they're uh, you know we talked about it last episode about the the parallels in certain countries now you know with with work camps and and stuff like that right it's the the you know and unless you got anything left to say about episode 12 i think we'll go to the kind of the season wrap the episode wrap anything yeah we can do that um just speaking of other countries real quick uh can we just celebrate us made the you know yeah world made cup. a group play yay world Woo! Cup. yay world cup go go usa I got to beat the Netherlands on uh, on on Saturday, but uh, but what the, was the chant. Uh, it's called soccer. <laughs> you can tell we had some uh, millennials out there for that one. Yeah, the uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, on the soccer point, it is it is considering we didn't make it last year or last year last go around four years ago. It was nice to actually make it out of the group stage. So yeah, way to go, way to go, U.S. Keep up the good work. Um, <clears throat> plus if, if they go far enough, then, uh, Amsterdam is going to have a, uh, one hell of a block party, uh, that I'll probably end up going to. Cause I did not go to the England U S one, even though that was insane. Um, but talking about the show as a whole, the theming, you know, surrounding again, stuff we've talked about before, how, how it ties into so many things that are going on in our in our in our world today from environmental stuff to um socioeconomic discussions to regime you know government regimes and exploitation of populace and 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 that sort of stuff i mean i've never i don't know of another show that touches on so many relevant topics within the same like story and and interweaves it so well you know it was the deepest star wars that we've ever had right like from top to bottom the message is just layer upon layer upon layer upon layer build off each other around the common a common theme right and um i guess the last thing from episode 12 we didn't talk about was that uh mothma and um parent end up going ahead with the introduction, right? It's a very brief scene. There's not, there's no words or anything like that, but just a, a sign that we get the point. Yeah. We and, know what's happening. And Mon is, has realized she has no Those, other options and that's, that's what she you know, has the to do. birds and the bees and all that stuff. That's what, you know, and we don't have to discuss that here. I don't mm-hmm. think. Yeah. The, uh, the sacrifices, right. That they have, to, that everyone has to make. And unfortunately for her, she's, she's trapped into having to make that decision to effectively give her daughter away um, in order to keep the, the, the greater cause, the, the greater good alive. And, and, and to be well. honest, though, her daughter didn't really like her that much anyway. So, I mean, it should have been pretty easy for her. I don't know. <laughs> well, 
Well, and I think that goes that goes. The kid, re- the kid resented her pretty much. I don't know, a hundred percent of the show we've seen so far. So, pretty interesting that Mothma's like, huh. I feel really, really bad about this for no reason because my kid hates me and loves the husband I also don't love. So, pretty simple. Well, I think, I think it, I think that's two reasons. You know, or there's a couple reasons for that. One is the reason for the resentment is, you know, if Mon's busy all the time with her government stuff and whatnot, and she's basically not intentionally neglecting her child, right? I mean. I the would, teenager thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's I, she's I, a 13-year-old, right? So, um, I mean, one, it's that time where kids resent their parents anyways. Um, but secondly, I mean, if she's not even around, then that would be even more reason. And then two, I think the reason that she's so upset by it is because she knows how unhappy she is in her current situation because of the exact same thing. Not obviously for the same reasons, but the exact same... Um, institution of of this like how do we know maybe she got married because of money the first time well it's well never know well right but i mean i think i think it's pretty obvious that she is not happy with her current situation now the fact that she has to basically barter her daughter off to the exact same life you know uh, uh, the unknown of not having that choice herself, you know, not having that choice herself. I think that really does pain her. And she's trapped because she knows that she doesn't want to do it, but she has to do it. And that's almost the worst position you have to, you can be in because you know, the outcome is going to be terrible, but you don't really have a choice in making that decision. Um, so I mean, her character throughout the whole series, just wonderfully done. I mean, the, the the initial like strength that she has in the early part of the season slowly diminishes, you know, as the grip tightens around her and around, you know, what she's doing. And that you see her vulnerability and that she's not the strong um uh, she not all like she 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 doesn't have that hardened exterior all the time, right? Like that we see later on when she's you know the leader of the rebellion like she is vulnerable she is distraught by these things that happen um and i think it's it was really well done from a from a portrayal standpoint um in the way that her character was was acted i mean did a great job with that but season as a whole uh your thoughts hmm hmm I want some more, so it's always a good thing. So um, for me, I think the biggest thing is just – I always go back to this, right? Uh, but some Star Wars isn't for everybody. So this Star Wars show was very, very different from almost – well, it was different from every other Star Wars show we've ever seen um, and movie even in that regard. So uh, no lightsabers hit this season not one and some people had a problem with it and um some a lot of people did not i would say as far as ratings go this was easily one of the top rated shows that we've seen that last episode was fantastic and um yeah it leaves you wanting more every week so um i got nothing bad to say i'm very excited for next season 
and yeah, keep doing, keep, keep, I mean, keep progressing on this, on this path here. Like if they can take a character like Cassie Nander, which we only saw in one movie mm-hmm. and give them the backstory that they're giving along with building the world around um, the main movies, sign me up. I will I will watch that gladly because I love exploring the additional uh just facets of of the rebellion or the empire. Uh, at this point you can give me a whole show based on the empire on just their side of things and what they're dealing with and I would be stoked. Um same with even the first order getting um put in place um after mm-hmm. um everything that happened um through return of the jedi and everything else. So um yeah these kind of shows while not for everybody um for me i really enjoyed it and i love seeing the um just the the fresh look at at characters that we well in some case we've seen um in movies and in other cases they're brand new to us but um it's very very cool to to see those backstories for some of them so Final time I'll ask you this season is where do you rank the uh, show? Oh no, don't ask. Just don't, don't ask. ask. I'm asking Just don't again. ask. I'm asking again. Bad did, idea. Did it did it move or is it in the same spot as before? What I what did I say last time? It moved ahead of Obi Wan last time. Yeah, you had it behind Mando. I still got it behind Mando. I can't help myself. I'm a I'm a. You're a, Gro- I'm an armor, you're a Grogu armor fan, guy. aren't you? Like, I love I love the Mandos. I yeah, I just love the um you know, my favorite character is still Boba and the armor just gets me. Like I just love the fact I mean for, for me I love the this didn't yeah, there you go. You've got him. I see I've got I got uh mm-hmm. celebration shirt, some some Jedi and Padme on there. But I, I don't know. I just I still love the Western feel of Mando. Mm-hmm. Andrew didn't give me like a super West. I mean, it was very much different than a Western feel. Um, it, it wasn't meant to be a Western feel. And uh, Mando still delivers on that for me. And I just always, for just personally, I love those old Western movies like John Wayne, like put them in any movie and I can, I, I can at least sit down and watch it, you know? So uh, cause I grew up with that with my dad. So I think that, I mean, just goes towards that, but yeah, for me, it's still Mando first. Yeah. Yeah. Can't help it. But then yeah. Andor close second. Gotcha. Give it to him. Okay. All right. That's fair. I don't need to ask you. I already know. No. Well, but you know, as far as the season as a whole, I mean, it was, well, excellent in my you know in my opinion uh and i think there's a general consensus that it's it's a really good show unfortunately there is a a back and forth now between people who love the show and then people who the show wasn't for them and unfortunately i think the people who love the show are maybe uh not doing such a good job of trying to explain why they enjoy it or just letting people who don't enjoy it not enjoy it um now conversely the thing is for me for, for, i i i'm sorry I'm, 
yeah, sorry for cutting you off, but at the same time, and you might get there too. So I, I apologize, but it's so weird when the people, when you enjoy something, you're just not as loud about it. Like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen. And it's, Every movie we have um, with the critics, every TV show we have with the critics, like the the negative criticism always shines brighter. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's because they're upset and passionate. And while I passionately love this show, it's not the same. If I was if I was infuriated with how this show went, you would hear it over and over and over again mm-hmm. without pause you know but because i'm happy with it i'm like it was a good show i really enjoyed it and then we move on to whatever else we're doing <laughs> you know like but if i was angry about it yeah that would, i mean and and we see that and uh, unfortunately in most cases i'm not gonna say all cases but in most cases negativity brings more viewership yes without question uh so i mean you see a lot of comments out there like i enjoyed the show but uh me hating on it got me more likes Mm -hmm. or me hating on it got me more listens or blah 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 blah. i mean there's all kinds of different reasons but i think that's why we see the people that liked it aren't doing a good job of defending it or aren't doing a job good job of explaining it to these people like it's not going to matter because the people that didn't like it are going to be louder right because they didn't like it. Well, it's a squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know, and the the vocal minority um, are the ones who, yeah, who get heard, I guess, the most, um, especially in our social media age. And on YouTube... And I will... Yeah, I was going to say, on, on YouTube, um, the rage for clicks mentality is... I mean, it's, it is... It's, it's unfortunate um, that that's you know, what people gravitate towards, um, you know, feeding the trolls. Um, now I will say that there are, are, are legitimate criticisms of the show. Um, you know, pacing isn't for everyone and that's fine. Um, I will say that after having watched the whole season now, the opening couple episodes, like with the whole Canary backstory, I don't understand the point of them now, uh, other than to establish Marva and Clem as kind of the foster parents. Other than that, the the Canary arc for me makes. I I don't know the I don't know the point of it. I I, I don't understand why that was necessary. Uh, like the, like that. One I just thought we were gonna get more. I thought I thought we were gonna get more yep. for Cassian's backstory, like outside of that specific Canary story. You know, like yeah, we got a salvage issue. Their tribe went. Some people got well. Mm-hmm. One got shot. And but we don't even know who that was to Cassian. We don't know if that was a like yeah. It was it, it it's very it's weird outside of Marva and Clem. Right, and and so you know, so I'll I'll admit that like I was thinking yeah that there was going to be more from that, and it turns out there really wasn't. So if you know as a vehicle to introduce a couple of the other characters, I mean it's fine, but maybe you didn't we didn't have to have two episodes dedicated to it. You know, so that would be a legitimate criticism, I think, uh, if you wanted to nitpick. <clears throat> and I think that's where we're at now is we're nitpicking things. And yeah. that... And that was only two episodes, too. Right. 
and so, but as a whole, uh, again, I kind of alluded to it earlier about the the various themes, the way that the show makes you think, uh, makes you have to focus, and it gives the viewer something to chew on. I think each episode, you know, there's like a takeaway kind of uh, from each episode, and I enjoy that with my television. Um, I like to think. Uh, believe it or not, when I watch my television, I don't like to shut my brain off. Um, half the stuff, actually probably more than half the stuff I watch, is something that I can learn from. Um, whether it's like golf videos on YouTube and I can take certain skills away. Or if I watch uh, the History Channel, I watch like uh, Forged in Fire. You know, watch about bladesmithing and stuff like that. Um, you know, those sorts of shows where, yeah, I still watch reality television, but I can... I can glean something from from the content that I watch. And so this show is it's it's the perfect kind of of content for me, for my personality. Um, and again, I will be the first to tell you that I am not like everybody else uh, in how I think uh, my personality is unique. <clears throat> um, but nevertheless, the 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 acting the cinematography the writing everything about it was fantastic and I can't wait for season two I'm really excited to see them go to Yavin uh, see how that base gets built you know into what we know it becomes how they keep it hidden so long uh, be kind of fun to to understand but I I suspect that there's going to be a lot more action in season two which again was another criticism from season one is is the lack of of constant action or action every episode right whereas in this series it kind of percolates and builds and boils until it until it pops and then it it builds and it boils until it pops uh <clears throat> and so there's not that instant payoff which i know some people enjoy with their programming so yeah still top of the list for me uh as far as the live action shows i mean it's even starting to kind of delve into some of the animated shows as well like taking top billing from that but yeah the, the fact that they were able to take Cassian as like a as like and use him kind of as the hub right like he was the hub in the wheel in the rebel wheel right so he's at the center but then you've got Mothma and Luthen and well and everybody else right and the common thread the common bolt at the middle is is Cassian um, and it, it reminds me of the uh, uh, the War of the Bounty Hunters with the Crimson Dawn rollover that Han Solo was like, he was that spoke, like everybody, you know, he was a spoke for the rebellion for, you know, the empire hated him, you know, the bounty hunters and, and they all hated him, right? Like he was the center cog that kind of brought everyone together in that comic series. So Cassian was the cog for the show, right? Like he was the titular character, but he was of paramount importance to everybody else, even if they All didn't direct, even if they didn't directly understand that, right? So <clears throat> that he's affected so many different characters' lives just by existing. Um, I think that was really well done. So and and, and you saw that in the last episode perfectly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everyone's there for one guy. Yep. So, um, so yeah, can't wait for season two. Excellent season. I'll probably end up rewatching it here, maybe around the holidays. Excellent, excellent Star Wars. And I feel like it's about as Star Wars y a story as you can get. 
just because of the message of rebellion or, or just fighting for a cause, fighting for what's right. Um, I love that it showed both sides um, and that the good side does bad things um, as well. We've talked about that before. So I like that it wasn't a, oh, well, the, rebel- the, the, the rebels are heroes, right? They do just as just as many you know they do bad things too so i enjoyed the kind of fair play that they gave to both sides in that regard too so any anything yeah, else awesome on, awesome anything else on andor no i'm good all right um do you want to quickly touch on the disney news with Iger coming back taking taking over from jpec uh yeah my one well, I, I talked about it earlier. Some memes and re- reels just abound right now. Um, one of my other favorites was they went back to Step Brothers. <laughs> like, what are you doing? I'm burying you. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and it's just, uh, um, it's just funny because yeah, Bob Iger's back and driver's seat for Disney. Chapek. I'm not going to blame it all on him because I mean, he went through a pandemic and had to lead through some different circumstances than anybody else has had to do, but they're throwing Iger back in there to take the reins back over the past two and a half years have not been good for Disney profits, Disney theme parks, Disney, anything. And Iger set up a lot of things that were successful like Disney plus. So, um, he was still at the helm when all that stuff was getting announced originally. So mm-hmm. yeah, they went tried and true, you know, uh, we'll see what happens coming back. Um, previously he was the acquisition King. Uh, I imagine he's going to look for his next big buy. Get Sony, get Sony. I know you can hear me out there, Bob. So yeah, we'll see what pace, he wants to go at and how he wants to run the business going forward. And we'll see some changes again. I feel like recently it's been a lot of, it's been consistent, but it's also hasn't been very adventurous. We'll we'll say boring. Boring. It's been consistent, (laughs) but not adventurous. I think that's, I think that's what I'm going to go with. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the, the question, you know, a lot of people in the star Wars, realm wonder is what effect if any will he have on what's going on at lucasfilm because obviously he was captain kennedy still has the reins there so true it's it's hard to say that they're gonna have any input well and Iger was there when the sequel trilogy was getting done the first time so i mean what do you i mean uh i mean it's hard to say that they're gonna have any additional input when Iger was there the first time well but disney sets the timelines for things you know, Lucasfilm doesn't. Disney tells Lucasfilm, "Hey, you're going to launch this stuff on this time frame, right?" So, Disney and Iger and set the two year time frame for the movies. You know, and so yeah, to, but they set that together that that at that point, you know, like it, Disney might like from the outside looking in, Disney sets the timelines, absolutely sure, but on the inside of that, Lucasfilm doesn't have to say yes. You know, like they could or or they could counter with something different, especially with all the TV shows right now. Like they could counter with something different that they want to do. You're right. Now. they so, could. Now they could. Now they could. Yeah. 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 I mean, but yeah, I mean, when I but that's just it, too. I mean, it's just so tough because 
Star Wars wants more movies. I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, as a fan, I want to be. I want to go back to the theater and watch another Star Wars film. Like, no questions asked. I want. I want to go see it. Um, but where it's placed, what it's about, all that kind of stuff, Iger has no input on. Mm-hmm. So, ultimately, Kathleen Kennedy is still in charge, and um, creatively, Dave Filoni is in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I don't really expect a lot to happen from the Star Wars side of things. I feel like a lot of it's going to be directed at the parks, which have, they haven't necessarily been struggling per se, but definitely certain things are behind schedule. There's a lot, a ton of backlash uh, regarding, you know, the park reservation system, Genie Plus, um, the lack of uh, annual pass holder things um, and and whatnot. The rollouts and some of the changes recently have been really really rough yeah like yeah so just poorly done it's kind of like uh you know we were on the on the hub for stcc tickets the other week and uh you know servers crashed mm-hmm. and they were like well this we tested this at this and this and we're like but you didn't test for this many thousands of people to get online at the same time to get these tickets you didn't test for that right well we tested for this event yeah about 40,000 less people online for that event. So congratulations, you're an idiot. And that's kind of how I feel like some of the Disney, the the genie stuff that went wrong, like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff is just poor planning on uh, stress testing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so if, 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 if Iger can bring about some needed changes within the parks, I mean, that I think will be good for everybody. Uh, obviously, it doesn't affect Star Wars um, as an entity, as a property, as a, as a creation house. Um, but you know, if nothing else, hope maybe he can nudge Lucasfilm into, you know, setting timelines or like, you know, cause one of the biggest things is, you know, they announce a movie or, Hey, we're going to work on this movie and then it gets shelved or, Hey, we're going to work on this movie and it's getting delayed two years right like there needs to be some clear path for lucasfilm content beyond the television shows like going back to the cinemas well, think, and stuff like that and ho- i think that's kind of, I, yeah i mean to your point there's been like announcements pushbacks cancellations on those announcements so it's potentially he can come in and help with that he was still on the Disney board though, mm. he still held held his board position though this whole time. He wasn't CEO, but he held his board position, and the board influences everything also. So, I, it's it's hard for me to say. I hope some of this stuff gets back on track when the board could have influenced the CEO and the other entities of Disney because the board sits ab- above. There wasn't a mic drop. Sorry. See, it's right here still. Boom. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, I, again, I've seen a lot of stuff online about people like, oh man, Bob Iger's back. He's gonna fire Kathleen Kennedy and, uh, you know, bring some sanity back to Lucasfilm. And it's like, just, just he, he stop. resigned her. Just stop. Just, Iger resigned her. Just stop. Yeah. Iger was on the board that resigned her. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and, I'm not sure how people think that they, yeah, and, and these things work. Like I, he was on the board that resigned her. I, I put to, <laughs> I put together um, 
a breakdown of ROI for films. I was actually going to talk about it during this segment, but, um, you know, looking at, you know, budgets versus what the movies brought in. And so the ROI, so I, I did some, some breakdowns of, of budget versus returns from the theater, um, adjusted for inflation, of course. So give you a guess on which shows are, or which shows, which movies were most profitable from an ROI perspective? Um, well, Force Awakens. Okay. That's your guess? I mean, outside of the original trilogy that I'm sure they spent nothing on and adjusted for inflation, they were probably the best ROIs. I mean, but I'm talking about, I didn't know if you were just going for Iger or something else. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. So you're talking about just Star Wars movies? I'm yeah. going with the orig- original trilogy was the highest ROI. Absolutely. Correct. Um, 3,000. And you hope being the best. Yep. 3,727% ROI adjusted for inflation. Um, <clears throat> uh, and that's, I think, just the, uh, that's just the initial release. Uh, if you take into account special edition and everything like that, it was a 7,045% ROI off of an initial budget of $11 million. Um, it pulled in, adjusted for inflation, $3.8 billion uh, with all of the releases. So yeah, but just talking, just focusing solely on uh, the Disney product, it has four of the uh, uh, the, the four worst grossing, uh, from an ROI perspective, are the Disney films. The, the best performing Disney film, I'll give you a guess. On ROI, Force Aw- the Force Awakens. Wrong. I think it's Rogue One then. It is Rogue One. Oh no, no, I lied. Rogue One is not Rogue One. I lied. It is Force Awakens. My bad. Rogue One is second. Rogue One is second. That's, I'm like, like Force Awakens set records at the box office. So yeah, I imagine that it was fine. Two point. Uh... But then Rogue One. But then Rogue One would be right behind it because the the following two movies did not perform as expected. Well, and for and, Disney, following and, three movies, right? Exactly, and you have to think about. T- so, just for perspective' sake, um, right? The original trilogy had multiple thousand percents ROI. The worst performing was Return of the Jedi, at fourteen hundred and sixty percent ROI. <clears throat> the because they put more into it, but yeah, right. Well, it actually also did not make as much Return of the Jedi. But next in line was Phantom Menace, episode one, 893%. Episode seven, so Force Awakens, 845%. And then the other two prequel films were 768% and 569%, respectively. Uh, Rogue One comes in at 529% ROI, pulling in 1.3 billion adjusted for inflation. And then the bottom three are The Last Jedi, in order, of The Last Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker, Solo, Solo is worse. Uh, it has it. It is one hundred forty three percent. So budget was two hundred seventy five million, and it pulled in four hundred sixty six million. And I think that's the last Jedi effect. But the whole point of this was to talk about. He, you know, we've talked about it before about how Kathleen Kennedy makes Disney money. They make yeah, it's not as much, right? But like, I'm pretty sure most companies would look would love to double their investment in eight months, you know, however long it takes to play in the theaters, right? Like take $275 million and spit out $450 million. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they would take that. So 
yeah, the films themselves don't haven't performed well because for various reasons. But the thought that the thinking that Iger is going to just come in and fire her is is it's it's it's, it's not going to happen for the reasons you explained and the fact that despite performance, it's still making gobs of money. Still making money. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm thinking it's going to be more parks themed or parks like centric, but, um, if, if nothing else, if, if he can help or if his leadership, you know, with the encompassing leadership can help hone in on a timeline that can be adhered to for a film or films, whatever, I mean, that would be nice. Or just don't, announce anything anymore just don't do it and unless you know for a fact that it's actually being made then go ahead and do it but otherwise just shut up and don't say anything about it because you're just going to disappoint us yeah, I mean, we've had two different films uh, attached to people's names and then yeah nothing nothing after well it, it was something afterwards telling us it wasn't happening <laughs> so we forgot to inform you that the movie uh, that you were looking forward to is no longer being made. So, yeah. So, um, last thing, uh, did you want to do a uh, a dose of a dose of the diet? A, a, you know, bits of spice. Uh, do you want to do one of those, or you, you just run through it real fast? All right, let's run it through it. All right. So, yeah, the last time we did it, last time we did it was uh, cost of of ships, right? So this week's little little fun fact, little 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 table of of goodness is speeds of those ships basically from slowest to fastest um and before i dive into that i will say those ships those ships or any ship uh generally speaking those ships um i did add because in my infinite wisdom i completely skipped over tie fighters um in my cost of ships stuff so um just to just to play with that real quick the general tie fighter that the normal tie fighter was a seventy-five thousand credit ship you know where in comparison i think the original x-wing was like 90 or 100,000 but so i've got a list here of max atmospheric speed and i'm going to go just kind of down the line um slowest that i've got a list of here right is uh, going to be a tie bomber which doesn't surprise anyone because it's a bomber and bombers are slow similarly the b wing which is generally a bomber also slow so tie bombers 528 miles per hour max atmospheric speed this is in atmosphere this is not um sublight speed <clears throat> but sublight speed kind of trends at a similar rate really quick did was vader flying a tie bomber nope he had a tie advance i have his ship on here oh yes he does have a tie advance. so i also have kylo ren's tie slicer i mean tie silencer on here as well the the slicer? The slicer? The slicer. The slicer. Um, I've got the Millennium Falcon, which is um, the uh, original trilogy version and the Lando version, so from the Solo movie. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Got a couple First Order TIE Interceptors, TIE Fighters, etc., as well as, uh, like, X-Wings, the ETA-2 Jedi Fighter, and a couple of the prototype TIE Fighters from Rebels. So, uh, as well as Slave One. So, just going down the line, um, TIE Bomber, 528, B-Wing, 590. The original trilogy Falcon is 621 miles per hour, which uh, is the exact same speed as what ship do you think? And the reason I ask Uh, you is because he's your favorite character. 
Oh, is it the Slave One? Mm-hmm. So the original trilogy, Falcon and Slave One, have the exact same in atmospheres yeah. in atmosphere speed. Um, but the Falcon both, has both cargo ships. So, and <clears throat> but the but the sublight speed for the Falcon is is a little bit higher than the Slave One. So um, probably why he was able to escape capture a bit more a bit more easily. Um, jumping to your X wings and N one starfighters, they're all in the mid to upper six hundred uh, speeds. The first Tie Fighter uh, that we get is the original Tie Fighter, uh, which is seven hundred forty five uh, miles per hour, which is, if memory serves me, just above the actual speed of sound. Um, so it's interesting that the Tie Fighter is faster than the X Wings, even though I thought the X Wings were supposed to be a bit more nimble from a from a usage perspective. Um, Vader's Tie Advance uh, has the exact same speed as the original TIE Fighter, so no uh, no advantage there. Um, not very advanced, frankly. So they would get, but that's smart, though, because they would gain on an X-Wing, say, in a corridor. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that does make sense from a uh, film perspective. Um, <clears throat> the Lando Falcon had the exact same speed as the TIE Fighters, as does, no surprise, the First Order TIE Fighter. Um, getting into the TIE Interceptor and the First Order Special Forces TIE Fighter, they have the same speed, um, 776 miles per hour. Um, and then the next four are all Rebel Ships, X-Wing, uh, both versions of the A-Wing, so original trilogy, sequel trilogy, as well as the original Jedi Starfighter, so the ETA-2, um, so uh, like Anakin's ship, for example. Um, those are in the low to mid 800s except for the ETA Jedi Starfighter which was 932 miles per hour. The three fastest ships are all Imperial ships. So the two TIE prototypes from Rebels, so the TIE Advanced version 1 and the TIE Defender, 994 miles per hour and 1043 miles per hour respectively. And then the fastest ship on my list is the TIE Silencer at 1149 miles per hour. So it's pretty ridiculous, but also piloted by a Jedi or Sith Lord. So mm-hmm. they can make it. So, and it also has the fastest, pretty impressive, the fastest sublight speed as well. So, yeah, that was my, my fun little list for this evening. So, kind of interesting from, a, from an actual usage functionality perspective, right? That the standard TIE fighter would be that much faster than the standard X Wing. Um, and that somehow they were still able to, like, again, this is just top speed, right? It's not, it's not agility, right? So I think it speaks to the agile nature of the X-Wing that they were able to still perform well in dogfights, like during the, uh, the battle of the first Death Star. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's my list for tonight. So anything else you'd like to discuss? I've got nothing today. It's been a good, uh, first cast on video though. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, I look forward to uh, editing this uh, <laughs> and seeing what, uh, cutting out a few of the, <clears throat> well, pauses, and uh, I don't know if when I pulled up that full screen, if it's going to actually show it on the video or not, so I guess we'll find out. But oh, We'll get some good learnings. Our listeners will love it. <laughs> exactly, and you get to see our pretty faces, so who doesn't want that? But as we come to a close on this episode, we want to thank you all again for uh, listening or watching. We ask that if you do uh, enjoy what you hear, uh, to uh, to like, share, subscribe, leave a review, etc. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, etc. It'll be in the show notes. And uh, 
Well, normally I normally I nail these outros. Normally, I mean. Man, I was gonna say this is uh, this is new here, huh? Normally, I crush the outros. Um, I will say that if you uh, are ever interested in any other fandoms, go check out Galactic Dads. They are cover everything, any anything we don't, as far as fandom go. We still are your experts for Star Wars, though. <laughs> don't ask uh, B and the guys anything about that. Right. Um, you can find them at Galactic Dads on all the. Uh, on all the social media and podcast uh, stations. So, but yeah, with that, we'll, uh, we'll bring this episode to a close. So for Jedi John, I'm Obi-Shawn and until next time, may the force be with you.